Why did God create two sexes, male and female? Can men and women be equal and yet have different roles? What about transgenderism and sex changes and, and preferred pronouns? How does God feel about all that? Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Ammons. Welcome to Truth 101, a podcast in which we look at the doctrines of the Christian faith in a systematic way, and we are looking in this 400 series now at the doctrine of mankind or the doctrine of humanity. We've already seen what it, what it means to be created in the image of God, and for the next two podcasts, now we're going to look at mankind as both male and female why God created two different sexes, and, and can men and women be equal but yet have different roles? Now, as we begin the, the discussion on, in these two podcasts about man as, as male and female, or humanity as male and female, first of all, I, I want to make a comment that contemporary culture really struggles with this aspect of systematic theology. Transgenderism today is, is really big. It's, it's, it's a hot topic among people today. Sex changes. What does God think of those? Uh, what, what does it mean, mean to be created in the image of God concerning male and, and female? Um, what about those that are created male and living as female or created female and living as male? What, what pronouns do you prefer? That's Today, there was a, a form filled out not long ago, and it just simply said on there, what pronouns do you prefer? Do you prefer to be called a, a he or, or a she? Well, even though there's confusion today and, and struggles in contemporary culture, I do want to say that there is no such ambiguity with male and female with God. There's no such confusion with God and the Godhead concerning male and female. You were created as you are for a reason and for a purpose. I'm created male uh, for a reason and for a purpose. And so for me to say, well, I need to be another sex, or you to say I need to be a different sex than I am, is basically saying that God made a mistake when he created me. Or, or that God made a mistake whenever he created you. So God makes no mistakes. You, you are the, the sex that you are for a reason, for a purpose, for the design that God placed you upon this earth. And to try to change that, I believe, is trying to change the mind and the will of God or saying that God has somehow created a mistake. So now let's talk about what Scripture teaches about two sexes, male and, and female. And I want to talk about personal relationships in this podcast and then talk about equality in personhood and the importance of equality in personhood that God has created us to be. First of all, uh, one aspect in, in the last podcast we talked about, about being created in the image of God, one aspect of being created in that image is that God has created us male or female. 
Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the same connection between creation and the image of God and creation as male and female, that's made in Genesis 5, 1 and 2. It says, whenever God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. He blessed them. He made, or rather he named them man when they were created. So although the creation of man as male and female is not the only way in which we are in the image of God, it is significant enough that the Bible distinguishes, yes, you are created in God's image, and yes, you are created either male or female. Now, let's talk about personal relationships in these both of these sexes. God did not create human beings to be isolated beings. In making us in His image, He made us in such a way that we attain interpersonal unity of various sorts in all different forms of human society. Interpersonal unity can be especially deep in the human family or in the spiritual family in a church, you might say. But between man and, and woman, men and women, interpersonal unity comes to its fullest expression in, in marriage. That's where a husband and a wife become Two persons become one flesh. It's the only relationship upon this earth in which you actually become one flesh. You don't become one flesh with your child. Uh, you don't become one flesh with a parent. But you do become one flesh with a spouse. Genesis 2.24, There shall, for shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh flesh. And so this unity is not only a physical unity, it's also a spiritual and emotional unity, a, a bond between the husband and the wife. Husband and wife joined together in marriage as, as are people that God has joined together, Jesus said in Matthew 19 verse 6. Then you go further, the sexual union between those two, that even that solidifies the bond between you. Sexual union with someone other than your wife or husband, that is especially offensive against your own body, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 6. And within marriage, husbands and wives no longer have exclusive rule over their bodies, but they share their bodies with their spouses, according to 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 through 5. Husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. And so the union between husband and wife is not a temporary uh, union. It is a lifelong union. It's not trivial. It's very profound. So the fact that God created two distinct persons as male and female rather than just one is a part of our being in the image of God. Because, now hear me here, because in some form, some sense, the male-female reflect a degree of the plurality of persons within the Trinity. In the verse that, that I just mentioned, talks about creating male and female, we see the first explicit indication of a plurality of persons within the Godhead. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us 
Let us make man in our image. Plural. So there is a plurality of the Godhead, and creating male and female somehow reflects, in some form, the plurality of the Godhead. So Adam and Eve, in such a way, they were, they were created to share love and communion, mutual giving of honor to one another in their personal relationships. And of course, such reflection of the Trinity would come to expression in various ways as well within human society, certainly in marriage, and yes, even certainly in the church. Now, somebody might object that such a representation of the plurality of persons in God is not really a complete analogy. For example, God is three persons. Adam and Eve, they were only two persons. If God intended for us to reflect the plurality of persons in the Trinity, why did he not create three sexes instead of just two? That's a really good question. But several points to, to consider here. First, we have to agree that the analogy between marriage and the Trinity is, it's, it's an inexact, uh, it's not perfect, not a perfect analogy. Second of all, although we can, cannot be certain of the reasons why God did not do something when Scripture does not tell us, you really can't, you really can't say, well, I, you can't, there's not an argument from silence, I guess you might say. And so, the unity is not exactly the same, the unity in a family among husband, wife, children, that does in some degree reflect the interpersonal unity of diversity of persons among the members of the Trinity. Now, a second objection might be raised from the fact that Jesus himself was not married. So if marriage is a good reflection of the persons of the Trinity, why wasn't Jesus married? And why wasn't Paul married at the time of his writing as an apostle, 1 Corinthians chapter 7? He's not married. In fact, he tells us it's better not to marry. So if marriage is such an important part of our reflection of the image of God, then why were Paul and Jesus not married? And why did Paul encourage others not to be married? Well, here are a couple of thoughts. For Jesus, the situation was unique, obviously. He's both God and man. He's both sovereign Lord over all creation and the creation and all lordship over all of heaven as well. So rather than being married to any one individual, Jesus has taken the entire church as his bride. And so he enjoys with each member of his church a spiritual and emotional unity that will last into eternity. So his, his situation was rather unique. It would have been inappropriate for Jesus to be married. He's married to the church. Now the situation with Paul and his advice to the Corinthian Christians, that's, that's a little different. There, Paul does not say it's wrong to be married in 1 Corinthians 7, 28 and verse 36 both. He, may, he views marriage as something good, a right and a privilege that may be given up for the sake of the kingdom is all he was saying. He, was, he said, quote, 
I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. The appointed time has grown short, for the present form of this world is passing away. So, so marriage is good, but he says it may be better to give up marriage for the sake of the kingdom since the time is short. He's not saying it was a sin to marry. So in this, Paul gives up one way he might reflect likeness to God, marriage, in order to further other ways he might reflect the likeness of God as well, which is God's purpose and work in the world and advancing the kingdom. For example, Paul's evangelism and discipleship are thought to be as, as bearing, quote, spiritual children. Whenever he would go to a church and he would lead them to Christ, he called them his children. And he nurtured them in the Lord. So in a sense, those were his offspring, the result of evangelism and discipleship in those local churches. Moreover, the entire building up of the church was a process of bringing thousands of people to glorify God as they reflected his character more fully in their lives. We have to realize marriage is not the only way in which the unity and diversity of the Trinity can be reflected in our lives. It's also reflected in the union of believers in the fellowship of the church. It's reflected in church fellowship. It's reflected in single individuals like Paul and Jesus as those who are married. All of these interpersonal relationships can still reflect the nature of the Trinity and of the personhood of God. Therefore, building the church and increasing its unity and purity is another way of reflecting God's character in the world. So now let's talk a little bit about equality between male and female, equality in personhood and importance. Is it more important to be a male or a female? Well, the answer is neither because they're both equally important to God. Just as the members of the Trinity are equal in their importance and in their full existence as distinct persons, so men and women have been created by God to be equal in their importance and personhood. Sometimes people mistakenly believe that the Bible is sexist and, and that God is sexist and He is against women. No, if you look at the culture of the day in which the Bible was written, the Bible elevates the role of women in a day in which they did not have an elevated status. So actually the Bible in biblical times, it was for women. And so it talks about the importance of, of, the, of male and female both being created equal and important in the sight of God. When God created man, he created both male and female in his image. That's Genesis 1.27. Men and women are made equally in God's image. Both men and women reflect God's character in their lives. And that means we should see aspects of God's character reflected in each other's lives. We should see God's character in men. We should see God's character in women. If we lived in a society consisting of only Christian men or a society consisting only of Christian women, we would not gain as full a picture of the character of God as we do. 
as whenever we see both godly men and women in their complementary roles reflecting the beauty of God's character. Next podcast, I'll talk more about roles and how God has placed each one of us in those roles for a reason. But if we're equally in God's image, then certainly men and women are equally in importance to God and equal in value to God. We have equal worth before Him for all eternity, man, man and woman. The fact that both men and women are said by Scripture to be in the image of God should exclude all feelings of pride or inferiority or that idea that one sex is better than the other or one sex is worse than the other. Sometimes we as Baptists, we get accused of that. And I'll talk a little bit about that later in future podcasts. But, but, but we're male and female both are created in the image of God and that alone gives us equal importance and equal value. You know, a lot of non-Christian cultures and religions, no one should feel proud or superior because he is a man or a woman or feel disappointed or inferior because they're a woman. Uh, if God thinks us to be equal in value, then that settles the question. God's evaluation is true and His standard is perfect and His personal value for all eternity is there. And so there are a lot of non-Christian cultures and religions that devalue one sex or another, but God in His infinite wisdom never has and never will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, Paul says a man ought not to cover his head since, it, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Whenever he says that, he's not denying that woman was created in the image of God. Some people believe in 1 Corinthians eleven seven. he was saying that. He's not. Paul's simply saying that there are abiding differences between men and women that should be reflected in the way we dress, the way we act, especially in the culture of the day, how a person dressed reflect their moral character in Corinthians. And so one of these differences is that man in relationship to woman has a particular role of representing God or showing what he's like. And woman in that relationship shows the excellence of the man from whom she was created, the rib that was taken. Yet in both cases, Paul says, verses 11 and 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he emphasizes their interdependence, man and woman, and their equal worth. Now our equality as persons before God, reflecting the equality of persons in the Trinity, that should lead naturally to men and women giving honor to one another. Men, you should honor women, and women, you should honor men. Proverbs 31 is a beautiful picture of the honor given to a godly woman. An excellent wife who can find, it tells us in Proverbs 31. She's far more precious than jewels. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband praises her. Many women have done exceedingly, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Boy, you can see the character and the beautiful picture and honor given to a godly woman there. In the same way, Peter tells husbands that they should be showing honor to their wives, 1 Peter 3, 7. 
And Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 says, In the Lord, woman is not independent of man or nor man of woman, for as woman was made from man, so man is born of woman. So both men and women are equally important. Both depend upon each other, and both men and women are worthy of honor. Now, the equality in personhood with which men and women were created is emphasized in a new way in the New Covenant Church. Look at Pentecost. It was a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Acts 2, verses 17 and 18 actually quotes Joel 2, 28 and 29, whenever he says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, even on my male servants and female servants. And in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they all will prophesy. So the Holy Spirit is poured out in new power on the church, both men and women. And both are given gifts to minister in remarkable ways. Spiritual gifts are distributed to all men. Spiritual gifts are distributed to all Christian women and Christian men, beginning at Pentecost and continuing throughout the history of the church. Paul regards every Christian as a valuable member of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to whom each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And after mentioning several gifts, Paul says all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one of us individually as He wills. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Peter also, in writing to a lot of churches throughout Asia Minor, he said in 1 Peter 4.10, men and women both receive gifts. He says, as each of you has received a gift, serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Men have gifts. Women have gifts. And these texts do not teach that all believers have the same gifts, but they do mean both men and women will have valuable gifts for the ministry of the church and should expect that these gifts would be widely and freely distributed to both sexes. Now, equality in status before God is further emphasized in the New Covenant Church as well. In the ceremony of baptism, I'll talk about this and then we'll close. At Pentecost, both men and women who believed were baptized. Acts 2.4 tells us those who received His word were baptized and they were added to the church about 3,000 souls. Now that's significant because in the Old Covenant, the sign of membership of God's people was circumcision. And that was given only to men, not women. But the new sign of membership of God's people in the New Covenant church is baptism, which given both to men and women. So that's further evidence that both men and women should be fully and equally members of the people of God. Just look at the, just look at the sign of God's people. In the Old Testament, circumcision being men, but in the New Testament, the New Covenant Church, it's men and women. Equality and status also among God's people is emphasized by Paul in Galatians. You might remember chapter 3 
Verses 27 and 28, Paul said, quote, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So here, Paul is underlining the fact that no class of people, such as the Jewish people who had come from Abraham by physical descent, or who, had, who or the, the, the freedmen who had given who had greater economic and legal power, none of those could claim special status or privilege in the church. Slaves should not think of themselves inferior to free men or women, nor should they think of themselves as superior. Jews should not think of themselves as superior to Greeks, nor should Greeks think of themselves as inferior to Jews. And in the same way, Paul wants to ensure that all men will adopt some of the attitudes of the surrounding culture. He does not want that to happen. Even some of the attitudes of the first century Judaism and think that there's greater importance of men over women. There's not. And Paul said, nor should women think themselves inferior or less important in the church. They're not. Men and women, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, according to Galatians 3.27, all are equal in importance and value to God and equal in membership in Christ's body for all eternity in the church. So in practical terms, we must never think there are second-class citizens, folks, in the body of Christ. Whether someone's a man or a woman, employer or employee, Jew or Gentile, black or white, rich or poor, young or old, healthy or ill, strong or weak, attractive or unattractive, intelligent or unintelligent, all are equally valuable to God and equally valuable to one another in the body of Christ. And this equality is an amazing and wonderful element of the Christian faith. It sets Christianity apart from almost all other religions and societies and cultures because the true dignity of a godly man and a godly woman can be fully realized only in obedience to God's redeeming wisdom as found in Scripture. So, as a man and as a woman, you don't need to change your sex. You don't need to change who you are. God created you on purpose. He created you for a reason. He created you equally important and valuable in His eyes and in the kingdom's eyes. Be who you are, who God created you to be, and bring glory and honor to your Creator. Now, in the next podcast, I'll talk about differences in roles. Does God give us different roles as men and women. Yes, absolutely he does. No roles more important than the other, but we do have different roles to play. And I'll talk about that in the next podcast. God bless you. Hope you have a great week.